today on the Ag News Daily Podcast. From an inventory perspective, uh, we're showing about 100 less farms for sale today than we were showing a year ago. People were fighting over land, and I made the comment that a month we could have sold farmland. All right, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. It is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2017. I am host Mike Pearson, joined by host Delaney Howell for the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm great, Mike. How are you? I am fantastic. I have been busy all morning building my new duck house for all of my ducks so they can get out of the basement because they absolutely stink. Oh my gosh, I don't even want, I don't. I can't even imagine. Yeah, they've been down there about two weeks, and I put fresh straw down every day, I scrape out the old straw, but they're just getting to that size where, you know, they're just birds, and just birds stink, and they're just mm-hmm. stinking. And they're ugly. They're not ugly, they're very, very handsome, mm-hmm. debonair. You should, you should post a picture so all our listeners can see your ugly ducklings. Well, I am going to post a picture once I get them outside into their fancy new digs. Because this is quite a project I've taken on. And, you know, Delaney, I try to be humble and modest at all times. So I don't want to brag up my project too much. But this new duck house that I'm building is is probably the greatest feat of construction and engineering since the Colosseum in Rome. I I I have a really hard time believing that, Mike. Well, you know, Jesus had doubters too, Delaney. So... (laughs) (laughs) I apologize. Lord, please don't strike me down. I was not comparing myself to Jesus. Uh, Just mentioning that we both have we both have those who doubt us. Um, So that being said, Delaney, is there anything worth talking about in the news today before we get to our interview about farmland values? You always diverge. But yes, there is news to mention today. Over the weekend, the uh, plains, the Great Plains, were hit with a lot of bad weather. There was a blizzard in some of the Great Plains states, including Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas. Wildfires were going through in March, so they have been having a really rough time in that neck of the woods. And so wheat is an issue um, in the Agriculture Politico newsletter this morning, They said that the storm, which dropped about a foot to 17 inches of snow in some places, also hit in Colorado and Nebraska. The National Wheat Growers Association said it destroyed 43% of, I believe, Kansas state's winter wheat crop. And so now about 7.7 million acres of wheat in Kansas are covered by crop insurance, but now there is this whole issue coming out that the, um, I believe it was the Heritage Group, they don't believe in crop insurance, and they're getting attacked on all fronts, and there's cattle. Another article said that there were a lot of, up to thousands of cattle that were hit by this blizzard in some of those states, so the folks in those areas are just having a really rough time. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, you mentioned the Heritage Foundation. They have been after crop insurance from a conservative Republican mm-hmm. perspective as a money-saving event. And it's kind right. of interesting, off and on, the Heritage Foundation has teamed up with, you know, more left-of-center liberal-type groups like the Environmental Working Group. They oppose it on uh, environmental grounds, specious as they may be. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, you know, occasionally those two come together just like Baptists and bootleggers come together to, uh, <laughs> you know, prohibit alcohol. Right. It's very, they're a very right winged group, if I yeah, remember Heritage. correctly. Yep. Yep. They sure are. But, you know, Heritage yeah. Foundation, I think, is the group that suggested Neil Gorsuch for the Supreme Court. And, uh, oh. you know, yeah, I believe I believe that was from their list. But anyway, Delaney, you made a good point. I always transition away from our chitter chatter and to the news and I cut you off. What What are you thinking? Oh, no, you're fine, Mike. I'm getting used to it by now. No, I, I know we're, we're equality and whatnot. What do you got? <laughs> What's going on? With that story or something new? I don't know. Whatever I cut you off from saying before. Well, I don't know now because you interrupted me. Okay. All right. Well, tomorrow it's okay. I'm I'm going to make a pledge that I will let you okay. chatter and transition us to the news whenever you're ready. All right. All okay, right. listeners, you heard it. You have to. We have to hold them accountable. That's right. Accountability is the name of the game. Let's see. While we're talking uh, news, though, can I go ahead with my news? Or do you have... I guess so. Okay. Thanks, Delaney. Here's what we got. So we talked on this program with Robert White a couple weeks ago from the Renewable Fuels Association. They have been advocating for a repeal of the vapor requirements, basically giving E15 the fuel vapor waiver. And uh, so that has to come from Congress because it's through the EPA. And there is currently a, a discussion happening that some senators, Chuck Grassley of Iowa, John Thune of uh, North Dakota, and uh, Joni Ernst, Deb Fisher in Nebraska, they're all saying, hey, look, we will vote for this most recent bill repealing some of the limits to methane emissions on oil drilling on federal lands if you all are willing to vote to eliminate the RVP issue so we can sell E15 in the summer. And there's not really any discussion how is this going to play out, but that's where we're happening right now. And it's interesting. That's how Congress used to do business was, you know, you'd trade votes for such and such, and that's how it seems like we're mm -hmm. getting back. So perhaps we will get a waiver for this uh, this RVP, the vapor thing, so we can sell E15 all year round. I thought that was interesting news. I think the term is called whipping the votes. I think you're right. Yeah, there's a majority and a minority whip. Yep. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I learned it on House of Cards. I was going to say, wasn't that what's this, <laughs> Kevin Spacey on House of Cards? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Very cool. Thank you, pop culture. <laughs> In other news, the uh, Dow-DuPont merger is one step closer to being complete because Tuesday, China's Ministry of Commerce has granted conditional regulatory approval, and that's going to be $130 billion mergers. We're seeing a lot of mergers progress here. We talked the other day about uh, John Deere trying to buy an, a leg of the Monsanto precision planting there's the Bear Monsanto merger. A lot of big companies are trying to monopolize in the market. So with that, they need to get approval internationally and also domestically. But yeah, I don't know what it's what it's going to hold, what the future of technology and crop sciences will hold if these companies have overextending arms. Well, and, you know, the uh, there's always two perspectives to look at it. One is bigger companies means less competition, which is, I know, what a lot of farmers are, are concerned about. If they're all mm -hmm. merging, hey, who do we go to for, you know, competitive bids? 
But then the flip side is, as you mentioned, if they continue to grow, if they get too big, if they're unwieldy, then eventually they fail and new startups take their place, and that's creative destruction. So mm-hmm. it does sound like that merger is on track, though. Delaney, is that right? Yes, it's uh, on track here. They People are speculating to close in August. Okay. You know, and it's... Um, oh, I was just going to throw in, too, the two companies still have to await for approvals from the United States, Brazil, Australia, and Canada before that deal can close. Gotcha. Okay, so we don't have approval yet. Right. Okay. You know, you're talking about science and technology. That uh, brings up an interesting conversation that was had yesterday. Julie Borlaug, who is the granddaughter of Norman Borlaug, who was the farm boy from Cresco, Iowa, who created or launched the Green Revolution by hybridizing wheat and is credited with saving more than a billion lives, his granddaughter, Julie, was at the uh, South Dakota State University Swine Club, and she said that you cannot be anti-hunger and anti-technology. And she has a fantastic quote here that ties into a little bit what Rob Sharkey was talking about yesterday. She says, consumers are driving the anti-science movement. This has unintended consequences for the world's poor, and just like her grandfather in the Green Revolution, we have the same problems today, and it requires a new way of thinking. And just like Rob was talking about with that non-GMO project certification, it's consumers who don't understand what we're doing, they're still driving the premiums behind a lot of that. And, you know, I think organic's a great way for producers to make money. It's a great niche market. By all means, take it. I'm going to sell these eggs locally sourced and blah 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 for my ducks but uh you know we can't uh, we can't forget that we're rich people buying rich people food and there are starving people around the world who just need to eat Mm-hmm. that is all a good point you make mike well thanks delaney you got any other news yeah. well this isn't really i guess it is kind of news but the other day we reported on or you reported on i think what's been going on with the uh trucker the new trucker regulations of electronic logging and we had a facebook message from Aaliyah hilker 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 heiss i want to say is how you say her last name she messaged us on facebook and thanked us for covering what's been going on and she said that she is part of the contingency working with the u.s cattlemen's association that will be heading to dc in june and uh, she said she's also the daughter and second generation stakeholder of steve heichel Hilker Trucking, I apologize if I'm butchering these names, but she said that they have been taking on a slightly different approach than what the OOIDA does in regards to the electronic mandate that's coming up here in December. So uh, we we reached out to her and hopefully uh, we will have some interviews with some people that can share that perspective. And then also after they return from D.C., we will bring some coverage about what happened. Yes, so this is is slated to go into place December 18th, but these groups, the uh, the OOIED, and this is from, uh, or uh, Aaliyah is affiliated with the United States Cattlemen Association, but her father uh, was one of the folks that we quoted, and I believe I did misquote mm-hmm. him and attribute it to the OOIDA. He is with the uh, U.S. Cattlemen, but both of these groups are trying to get some relief an exemption of some sort from that uh, that bill. But, yeah, so Delaney is exactly right. We'll continue to bring you coverage and, and uh, keep you up to date. 
Let's see. Delaney, should we talk markets? Let's talk markets. All right. Let's do that. We've got a lot of green on the screen pretty well across the board. Um, we've got the corn market, May corn up two and a quarter cents, finished the day at 366 and a quarter. December new crop corn also up two and a quarter, closed at 392 even. In soybeans, the May contract seven and a half cents higher, finished the day at 965 and a half. November contract up five and a quarter cents, finished the day at 970 even. Looking down at wheat, the uh, Chicago contract, May wheat is up a penny and a half, closed at 4.43 even. December wheat down one and a quarter, closed at 4.88 even. Looking at Kansas City wheat, as Delaney was talking about with the uh, heavy snowstorm there, we are stepping back from that recent rally. The May contract closed down four and a quarter cents, finished at 4.50 and a half. The December contract down two cents, closed at 5.02 and a quarter. Now, I want to move to the livestock markets, specifically the cattle markets. Delaney, do you know what I get to say? Unfortunately, I do. Why is it unfortunate? Your dad's in the cattle feeding business. No, I don't mean because of that, just because you're so animated. What I'll am I going to say? What am I going to say? Limit up. Limit up. Limit up. Let's look at the nearby contract. June live cattle limit up on the day. Finished at 130.05. The August contract limit up. Closed the day at 123.80. Looking down at feeder cattle, the May contract didn't quite close the limit. They were up $3.67.5. Finished at 153.30. The August contract limit up. Closed 450 oh higher. Finished at 160.10. <laughs> Looking at lean hogs, the May contract saw a nice bounce this today, a dollar higher, closed at sixty-seven ninety-five. The June contract up a dollar forty, closed at seventy-five fifty-five. Looking down at milk, it continues to struggle. The June contract down twelve cents, closed at fifteen forty-three. All right, Delaney, we've got a lot of positive numbers here in the markets. We're going to start talking a bigger market with our interview, and that is the American Ag Land Market. What do you think? Should we turn it over to Steve Brewer from People's Company, Delaney? I think we should. All right, folks. Well, we're joined today by Steve Brewer, the president of People's Company, which is a uh, real estate firm. They do agriculture real estate. They do commercial, a little bit of everything stretching from North Dakota all the way down to Louisiana. So Steve's got a pretty good grasp on the industry. And uh, Steve, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, glad to be with you. Now, we've seen some volatility in commodity prices here recently. What have you seen on the farm ground side? Where is land really moving? You know, it's interesting. We we track it uh, really closely through our appraisal business, and, and our home office is in Iowa, so I'll speak more specifically to Iowa. But the trends are pretty similar when you get outside of the state. Uh, so we've we've been tracking individual auction sale results since uh, 2015, and and in Iowa we use the CSR2 rating scale, and so you use a multiple of uh, price per CSR point. And the last half of 2015, we were showing sales of about 115 bucks a CSR2 point. That was the the average price. And then in the first quarter of 16 a year ago. Uh, that dropped down to 101 bucks a CSR point. And looking back, that first quarter of 16s when the farmland market bottomed out, hmm. and and then it went from 101 bucks a CSR point in that first quarter to 104 bucks a CSR point in the second quarter, 106 in the third quarter, 108 in the fourth quarter, 
And then so far year to date, we're showing that the, the market's averaging about 115 bucks a CSR point. So, um, so the market bottomed out there. It's, it seemed to have rebounded. Um, from an inventory perspective, uh, we're showing about 100 less farms for sale today than we were showing a year ago. And what we do, we follow about 213 farmland-related businesses in the state, and, and we think that's a pretty thorough list. And so every week we get a report of everything that's listed or sold and, and track those transactions. And we're only showing 91 uh, farms that are 85% tillable or more in the entire state right now. So inventory levels are incredibly low, and that's that's helping keep values up. Now, Steve, I have to admit, I don't know a lot about land values. So if I were a first-time farmer going to purchase some ground, what are some key things that I should look for as far as um, ratings or area around it? I mean, obviously, I don't want to buy in a bottom land because I have the possibility of being flooded. But what are some other things I should look for? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, everybody's got different motives when they're acquiring farmland. And so some want um, land for livestock and some want land for recreation and others okay, want I, it for inflation. Maybe I should have been, I'm sorry, I should have been more specific than if I want land specifically for tillable acres. Yeah, so I think, you know, really when you're looking at tillable land and you're looking and you're an outside investor um, just looking to to uh, put money into farmland and you're you're really looking at um, the long-term sustainability and appreciation of the asset um, versus just its current return and so you know when you get into lower quality ground um, sometimes you can get a higher return on your investment immediately um, but on that higher quality ground um, the values are more stable there's always demand for high quality farmland and, you know, you, you've got more opportunity for appreciation in the higher quality ground than you do in the, the lower quality land. Um, but those are, those are really the, the two factors, current return and then the long-term sustainability and appreciation of the asset. Now, Steve, I want to ask you for 2008 through 2013, if you wanted to sell farm ground, you wanted to have that auction. You wanted the two neighboring farmers to get together and just bid that thing up like crazy are auctions still the way to go here in 2017? Is there still enough demand for uh, that kind of uh, that kind of listing, or do you see more folks choosing to do a, a private list, reach out, uh, you know, a little bit beyond that traditional auction base? Yeah, Mike, that that 2008 to 13 period was, um, you know, an exciting time because every time you had an auction, you'd set a record high sales price and you'd mm-hmm. put the next one, and it'd be even higher than the last one, and and people were fighting over land, and I made the comment that a monkey could have sold farmland uh, <laughs> during that period because people people were fighting over it. And, you know, flash forward to today and some of the numbers I just talked about where inventory levels are incredibly record lows, if you still bring a high-quality, high-desirable piece to the market that hasn't been available for generations, um, you know, those those farms are still selling incredibly well. Uh, the difference between now and 2013 is that anything you brought to the market in 2013 sold well at auction. Today, these highly desirable, highly tillable uh, pieces are still selling really well. You've just got to be cautious. We'll see um, people bring properties to the market that don't have that highly competitive uh, flavor to them, and, and you can really end up exposed if you try to auction something where you don't have that competitive nature to the to the bid process. So our auction volume is down. 
um, from the peak. We're probably um, we're probably off 60% from where we were a few years ago. Uh, we're doing a lot more sale leaseback situations where folks want to uh, clean up their balance sheet, maybe sell an 80 and and then do a quiet transaction where they don't want the the whole neighborhood knowing that they're having a farm auction. So there's certainly been a shift in in the method of sale. Okay. So is now the time to buy or sell farmland? You know, um, it's always it's always a good time to buy farmland because it's it's just a if, if you've got a long view um, of, of the asset. You know, if you're if you're in the short term perspective, then you could get caught up in the ebbs and flows of commodity prices and interest rates. But if you're in it for the long haul, um, I am, I'm sure farmland bought today will be worth more. 10 years from now than it is today, and it'll be worth far more 20 years from now than it is today. Um, and, and likewise, on the selling side, there's still incredibly strong demand for farmland. Um, prices are stronger than one might anticipate, given that we came off of, um, you know, $7 corn to $3 corn. Um, so it's, it's more of a situational time in life conversation to me than it is timing, timing it, I guess. I, I, I think if you want to sell, uh, right now, in selling from the cards, you can still get historically high prices for farmland. Um, and, and again, um, you know, there's situations out there where you can you can still get a good buy. Uh, you might have to look uh, pretty hard to find a good buy. But again, if you've got that long-term perspective, um, I think it's a great time to get into the market. All right, Steve. Before we let you go, I wanted to talk to you. You have become known, or People's Company has become known for every year putting on a high-quality event the People's Land Investment Expo. And uh, I just wondered, do you have any speakers booked for that? You had Dennis Gartman last year. You always bring high-quality people. Is there somebody we could uh, get excited about this early on? Well, of course, um, you know, we've got you as our, our MC this year. So we're excited I figured to, that uh, this uh, was Mike. I figured this was where Mike was going. I figured he was about to whine and dine <laughs> yeah, you no, on yeah. air to try to get you. A, yeah. <laughs> Definitely, definitely our marquee speaker there. But no, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, we've got uh, D- Dr. Mike Dotzer from Texas A&M. He spoke before. He's an economist from the real estate center down there. And he, um, every year we have him, people request that we have him back the next year. So we're excited to have Mark back. Uh, we've got Kevin O'Leary, uh, who is uh, um, known from his role in Shark Tank. Uh, he's one of our keynote speakers this year. And he's also running for Prime Minister of Canada right now um, for the 2019 election. Ah. And so it'll be kind of fun to have him there. And, you know, obviously, we had uh, Donald Trump the year he ran for president uh, as one of our keynote speakers. So we always try to bring in a little political flavor to it. And uh, those are our first two keynotes that we have uh, for, for next year. And we're working on putting, putting the rest of them together as we speak. That's awesome. That's going to – Kevin O'Leary, that's, that's yeah, going to be fun. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get a Canadian Yeah, we're, up we're there. excited. Yeah, Mr. Wonderful. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, now, Steve, I've got a personal question for you. I have a cow-calf herd. I'm always looking to grow. If I were looking today to buy pasture, where would I go? Would I stay in Iowa? Would I look at Missouri? Where would you send a guy looking for pasture? You know, that is a great question. Um, you know, the, one of the big things in this whole farmland business right now is the uh, the property taxes by state. And so, uh, you know, for instance, uh, property taxes in Minnesota and Nebraska are incredibly high as it relates to Iowa. Illinois is also high. Missouri is low as it relates to Iowa. Um, so I think you've got to, um, you know, 
put that into your decision making. Of course, um, water is playing a bigger and bigger role. So with you know just now with the wildfires and um, southern part of the United States, uh, you know the the water rights and access to um, hay and whatnot. It, you know I think you want to be where the water is, or mm-hmm. you're going to have um, access to, to plenty of grazing and, and uh, uh, hayland. So. Uh, but you've got the logistics of, of where you're at from your operation, and and then you're also seeing, you know, this trend towards some of the monoslat uh, feeding facilities as well for cattle. And but it, it, it looks to me like the the cattle industry is is moving back towards Iowa and the Dakotas and Nebraska um, because of some of the, the issues that we've seen in Texas and Oklahoma the last few years. What is the most interesting property it can be ag or non-ag that you guys have either sold or sold at auction you know one of the the most interesting properties that we're uh we're taking on as we speak is out in washington state it's a six thousand acre farm that's in the walla walla river valley and it's currently being used for wheat and potato production and the family's been acquiring the water rights the water rights are closed in that uh, particular area and now um, the property's positioned to be developed into a permanent crop property, um, likely blueberries, hops, wine grapes, and hmm. apples. And so, you know, you get into some really interesting stuff. You know, when, when we're in the Midwest, we're talking corn and soybeans primarily. And it's really interesting as you get outside of the Midwest to see the diversity of crops um, on more challenging uh, properties. But yet the values of those properties are much higher because of the crops that you you grow on them. So, right, specialties. Um, we've, we've gotten involved in, yeah, yeah. So we get involved in a lot of interesting, interesting um, properties. We're working on a 6,000-acre property down in the Mississippi Delta in Arkansas, Mississippi right now where the um, farmer took old catfish farms um, and is converting those to row crop production. I've seen and, that. I went to Mississippi this past summer, and there were so many – catfish ponds that were lay fallow and a lot of the farmers down there said that they were converting them to plant row crops because catfish weren't wasn't making them any money that's interesting you say that yeah and on our particular piece then um he's getting this certified organic designation since they've been raising catfish Mm -hmm. they've been out of production for three years and so now we're selling these as certified organic properties um so that's that's a neat uh, property and then another thing um in florida uh, there's a disease called citrus breeding down there that's killing the citrus trees, mm-hmm. and so there's a there's going to be a huge conversion of citrus land that the other uses in, in Florida um, that's going on right now. So, you know, kind of across the gamut, um, you know, there's just a, a lot of interesting things when you get into the farmland business. You know, when you started off saying you were selling a property in Washington State. Um, and it was a specialty crop property. I was My. wondering if it wasn't maybe Colorado, Washington State. There is a new specialty crop in those places, <laughs> um, being marijuana. And I was <laughs> that's where I thought you were going with that. But uh, well, you know, yeah, no, not, not yet. But you know, we won't have to travel that far if the legislature finishes off their medical cannabis bill here in Iowa. Uh-huh. We'll do that's that right here. true. That's true. They're bringing those changes to Iowa. Well, Steve, we know you've got a uh, vacation to get to and uh, heading off with the family. So I just want to, we want to thank you for taking the time to talk to us and uh, hope you have safe travels this week. Yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Again, that was Steve Brewer from the people's land company. He, uh, 
had a lot of interesting things to say. And Mike and I were obviously both capitalizing on the fact that we have interest in land values. Absolutely. And I think all of us in agriculture have an interest, whether you're cash renting or owning or you're a, a absentee landowner, you know, whatever it is, land is the core of our business. And uh, Delaney, as we look ahead to the rest of this week, tomorrow we are talking to a a uh, representative of an industry that is always looking for more land, and that's turkey. Mm-hmm. That's right. We're talking turkey tomorrow with the Iowa Turkey Federation. I think it'll be pretty interesting. I haven't had a lot of experience with turkeys other than eating them at Thanksgiving. Yeah, and I think that's the best part of a turkey is uh, <laughs> with gravy and mashed potatoes. Uh-huh. Yeah, or wrapped in bacon. Oh, I don't know that I've ever had bacon-wrapped oh. turkey. Oh, they have um, like little turkey tenderloins sometimes at Hy-Vee or Fairway that are wrapped in bacon and I'll grill those up and they're delicious. Good to know. I know mm-hmm. that. So Greta, and they're healthy. Well, of course Turkey's they're healthy. Turkey's a pretty healthy meat. Well, it's maybe a, not the bacon, but. Well, bacon's good for you. I mean, science is showing that human beings need to eat fat and we need to eat grease and we need to eat delicious foods. That's science. That's probably not the amount that we're actually intaking, though. Well, I think that might be the argument there, Mike. No, I, I don't. I, I reject that argument. I think <laughs> people who say you need stuff in moderation, they're just liars. Uh-huh. You need all of the bacon all of the time on top of a ribeye covered in turkey, smothered mm-hmm. in gravy with mashed potatoes on the side. All right. All right, potato. Mike. Well, you're making um, me a little hungry. All right, so we've got Greta Irwin from the Iowa Turkey Federation tomorrow and Friday. As we mentioned yesterday, we will hopefully be talking to Sonny Perdue. If nothing else, we will be at least listening to Sonny Perdue and uh, maybe talking with Iowa Secretary of Agriculture, Bill Northey, on Friday. So if you've got questions, shoot them to us uh, here over the next two days, and we will make sure we get get them in front of the secretary or secretaries, as the case may be. That's right. And uh, I'm planning on bringing a video camera with us. So if nothing else, we will have some web content of Sonny Purdue, Secretary Purdue, speaking on Friday. Perfect. Perfect. And Delaney, I'm going to go ahead and let you run the camera. Yeah, that's probably the best idea. Maybe you can um, do some audio for me. Or... I can do audio. I can do okay. a thing that's easy. You could hold a microphone close or do some sort of assisting. You yeah. can hold the gear. Yeah, do we need a grip? Is that a thing we need? Yeah, that is a thing. Look Can at I you. Can I be the key grip? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, I think that's a good job for you. All right, folks, you heard it here first. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, do you have anything else that you need to share before we go? Other than make sure and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't yet, please rate and review us. We really appreciate and need some feedback. We don't know how we're doing other than a few folks who have been reaching out to us. And you can find us on social media. Ag News Daily is our Twitter handle as well as Facebook. Other than that, Mike, what do you think? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.